great time right now to be a Gamecock for sure. Want to wish Coach Staley and her team uh, good luck this weekend. Certainly the last time uh, we were in the state of North Carolina, we had great luck against the Tar Heels and uh, excited to watch her team this weekend and we'll be pulling hard for them and uh, wish them the best of luck and hope they have the same result uh, that the, uh, the Gamecocks had the last time we were in North Carolina. So. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously said a lot about NIL um, from the beginning of it. Let's make sure that we understand I love that the pay players are getting paid, and I just say how it is. So, you know, I mean, I guess I got called a clown before for saying how it is. NIL has a lot to do with where players go. Um, and to not think that's crazy. Adults choose jobs a lot of times for money, for salaries. So why would a kid not? Ooh, welcome in the latest episode of that SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And hey, a flying solo for this episode, but man, with so much content going around, with spring practice all across the SEC, with the exception of one or two schools. Hell, I know Missouri just wrapped up. If you missed it on the last episode of Recap, we also got a, a really great recap of the Missouri spring game over at uh, thatsecpodcast.com, including all the video highlights from that matchup. But I say that to say this. I may be spieling here by myself, but we got plenty of content to get through the show. Lane Kiffin firing some shots as usual. Alabama on the revenge tour. But I wanted to start in the SEC East with two programs on the rise. And this is just going to be a debate all offseason long between these two fan bases, between these two programs, who is going to finish higher in the SEC East this season? Shane Beamer's South Carolina program, Josh Heupel's Tennessee program. Plenty of reasons to love both these programs and the rise that they are both on. But let's start the show in Columbia where Shane Beamer, they're about uh, a week or so into spring down there in Columbia, and that was kind of something they really hit on during uh, his media availability here. Going into week two, so many transfers, fresh faces across the Carolina roster, and you know we spend so much time talking about uh, Spencer Rattler, but there's many other potentially huge impact transfers on the South Carolina Gamecock roster that we need to recognize and it starts with, uh, you know, maybe a guy that's not fair to group him in here because he's not yet in Columbia, but Austin Stogner, the Oklahoma tight end. When I went back and watched Spencer Rattler down there in Norman, it was eye-catching how huge this Austin Stogner was. He should be a legit target in this offense. We got Terrell Dawkins, the defensive lineman from North Carolina. Everybody's raving about De Devonnie Reed, the safety for Central Michigan. Antoine Wells, you Probably don't know that name now. The rest of the SEC is going to learn it real quick. The James Madison standout. I mean, he's breaking records at James Madison. He played there a year and a half. He's got plenty of year eligibility remaining at South Carolina. I think he's going to develop as a real target here in this offense. Christian Beal Smith, the former Wake Forest running back to add some depth. And Lavoisier Carroll, of course, a name that uh, they know in Athens, former touted recruit 
played defensive back for the Bulldogs. Now he's transitioning to running back for the Gamecocks. But you're adding veterans. You're adding experienced veterans, guys that have produced at the Power 5 level all across the sport, and you're adding that to a team that just surprised many by going to a bowl game, and not only that, but whooping North Carolina in the process. So that's something that Shane Beamer hit on here. Year two, what uh, are the lessons learned for him in this program? And I really liked uh, this comment, year two, what's different for Shane Beamer? Steve Spurrier, co-coach of the year for a first-time head coach last season, knocked it out of the park. What's it like going into year two of his program? One is just doing it the second time through knowing what's coming and 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 you know every day something's going to happen that you don't prepare for and and coach Spurrier used to always tell me be flexible you know that things happen and you got to be able to adjust and stuff like that and I and I get it you know understanding that uh so that's probably the biggest thing Mike is just knowing um one that the players in this program better you know, in year two and what makes them tick and their backgrounds and their stories and, and their challenges and goals and things like that. I feel like that helps me better as a coach because I have better relationships with the guys that have been here, you know, for, for both uh, for, for last year and then now this year. So I know how to, you know, connect and reach guys better. Um, you're constantly learning and, and trying to do a better job of that. They know me, you know, better as well. And then, like I said, just kind of when I say what's coming, when when you get into – to April and when you get into May and planning and things like that, just having a better handle on, on things like that from that standpoint. But I mean, every day, I mean, I've told you guys before, I'm a, I'm a manicu- meticulous, meticulous, it's a new word, meticulous uh, note taker. So constantly just writing things down and, and trying to learn and, and looking back at last year and, and some of the things that I wrote from last year at this time and, and, and whatnot. So you're constantly learning, constantly trying to find a ways to get better, but certainly feel like I got a better handle on on everything a year later, if that makes sense. Now, of course, this time last year, anytime Shane Beamer came up, all they wanted to talk about was Frank Beamer and the, the legendary Virginia Tech coach, and for good reason. I mean, he's a, a pillar of this sport. It would not be what it is without Frank Beamer, so we, let's give him his credit. But there was a lot to be learned from his legendary dad and coach continuity Let's be honest, even uh, the biggest diehard South Carolina fans, many in the media calling for guys like Marcus Satterfield to get out and be gone after one year. And, hey, I'm right there with him, so I'm not throwing those people under the bus. South Carolina's offense was just so inconsistent, so terrible. I believe our guy uh, Adam McClintock, the CFB professor, had Marcus Satterfield as the 109th, leading the 109th most efficient offense in the country due to his metrics. I mean, that's that's just god-awful. That's <laughs> That is a guy you fire after one year. But, you know, circumstances, certainly the offensive line was a disaster. The quarterback position was a disaster for much of the season with injuries and everything that went into play there. Running back broke his back right before the season started. I mean, so many things went wrong. Shane Beamer, of course, had to evaluate all that in his decision-making. And here he is talking about just the value, not only for bringing the staff back, but something he learned from his dad there at Virginia Tech and how this is going to help the players, everybody being in the same system, same coaches, many of these players. 
coming back for a second season under Shane Beamer and how that should pay dividends this season in the fall there for the Gamecocks. Shane, uh, you know, with the assistance that that you guys were able to to hang on to, I guess at at what point during the – whether it's during spring or off season or maybe even into fall camp where it just kind of hits you as the head coach of, of just the importance of being able to uh, keep those guys on for another year, keep that continuity and kind of also how that translates into uh, player performance as well. Yeah, no, I think it's huge, Corey. Um, one, it's nothing that I realized. I mean, I already knew it and I saw that from my dad. You know, if you look at his coaching staffs at Virginia Tech, they stayed intact for the most part for his entire career. You know, he had Bud Foster on his defensive staff from not even that Virginia Tech starting in 1987, but going back to 1981 at Murray State. Um, Bud was on my dad's staff. So Bud I've known since I was two years old uh, when he was a player on my dad's team at Murray State. So for Bud to be there that entire time, he had the same defensive line coach from 1996 until – he retired in, in 2015, you know, had the same tight ends coach or tight ends coach slash O-line coach. Same guy was there for uh, since 1989, I guess, on and on and on. So it, 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 it's great for the continuity within your program, for sure. It's great for the continuity outside your program when it comes to recruiting because the same coaches are going in the same high schools year after year after year after year after year, and they know everyone in the school. They know who the eighth grader, ninth grader, 10th grader is coming up. And you don't have to like relearn that or educate yourself on a new area, on a new era, uh, uh, area recruiter uh, if you're the high school. And, and then just what you said, I mean, I've been really pleased with what our guys have been able to retain because they're not having to like teach a new system. And that was important for us on offense, defense, and special teams. For us offensively specifically, um, the best thing for us was to continue to build on the great things that we did last season and not have our entire offense have to learn a new offensive system. Uh, Let's continue to find ways where we weren't very good last year in all three phases, and let's continue to evolve and take the next step in on offense, on defense, on special teams. And, you know, so far so good because we've been able to – our guys are more confident and comfortable in those three phases or on those three phases with what we did last year. But we've also been able to take – you know, the next step and, and build on that as well. Offensively, the next step off some of the things that we did last season. Defense, defensively being able to, you know, expand the package, take the next step in some of the things that we did, whether it be from a coverage standpoint or pressure standpoint or or front techniques or, or whatnot. So it's it's huge and, and uh, something that will always be important to me, just the continuity year in, year out. I mean, and again, I've said it before, you're always going to do what's best for the program and, and making sure you got the right people in the program, but to me, when you can keep that group intact and, and continue to evolve, it's a it's a great thing. Now, with all this talk, I mean, expectations, right? I've said it myself. I think South Carolina hovering right around that number 25 in the country. I'm fine if they're not ranked in the preseason polls, but I won't argue with it anywhere from 20 to 25, given uh, what we've seen year one and the fact that they are, have added a dynamic quarterback in Spencer Rattler who should change the game of that offense this fall in Columbia. But that's something Shane Beamer hit on, the fact that, uh, yeah, they may be getting some preseason buzz, but real, real quickly, 
he puts that thing into perspective uh, given uh, who's on South Carolina's schedule this upcoming season. You know, um, handle success better. We talked about it in a team meeting this morning that we started out 2-0, and then we went 2-2, two and two, and then from that point on, we never won more than two in a row, and we never lost more than two in a row. And there's some positives in that, that you – didn't lose two in a row. If you ever lost, you, you, you competed and you came right back the next week and won the football game. And there's great things uh, to learn from that, but also being able to handle that success. You know, when you have a great win over whoever it may be, Florida, being able to handle that success and perform better the following week and, 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 and whatnot, and, uh, or Auburn or whoever it was. Uh, but to me, it's just, you realize all the work that went into winning seven games and realizing it's going to take that much and then more to take the next step. Um, everybody says to me, you know, we're going to be a, you're going to be a great, you may be preseason ranked and, and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, there's about eight opponents that are going to be ranked ahead of us in the preseason as well. So let's like keep this in perspective also, which is true. Uh, but I think it's just day to day right now, Ben, like how we, I know everybody talks about the process and, and only worried about today, but it's true. Like how good a day can we have today and just keep stacking good days. And we use the example with the team this morning. You know, we, we, we see the word accountability and talk around here and we talk about it a lot and, and we hold our guys accountable and everything, whether the things they're expected to do down in nutrition with Kristen to the weight room, to academics, to the training room, to the football part of it. And when you got a hundred plus guys in your program, it's hard You'd ex you expect it to, but it's hard to have every single person not have a single issue on any day. Something's going to happen, right, whether you like it or not. An 18-year-old freshman that just got here forgets he's supposed to be somewhere, and you're here to help him. But yesterday, we didn't have a single – we call them strikes. We didn't have a single strike in anything, in any department that, that affects our football players that our players deal with. We didn't have a single thing, which is awesome. So we talked about it this morning, being able to handle that success. The, we had a great practice on Saturday, and then we had a great day yesterday with no issues. Now we need to be able to take it to the practice field and have a great practice. Uh, and, and that's what we did. So to me, it's not uh, handling success. It is handling success, but it's just really driving it down on the details and, and just trying to be great today at what we do and then do it again tomorrow. So sorry, I know that's a long, extended answer, but got me or geeked up on that one. So exactly. It all sounds great till you realize, oh my God, we got eight teams ahead of us that are, are on the schedule. They're all ranked as well. And no doubt one of those teams is going to be Josh Heupel's Tennessee program, given uh, you know how hot they got at the end of the season. I know they didn't win their bowl game like South Carolina did, but you know, arguably, if you're a Tennessee fan, you could say they did win it because they were kind of robbed there at the end. But Moving on from that, I mean, Tennessee fans, that's long in their rearview window because they got Hendon Hooker back, Cedric Tillman back, just signed uh, a five-star quarterback. I mean, the future is bright in Tennessee, no doubt. And much like the South Carolina Gamecocks, Tennessee being bolstered in a big, big way in the depth department this spring with 14 early enrollees returning to the program. Tennessee, they've Tried to dabble a little bit in the transfer portal. Not quite as successful as the Gamecocks, at least not yet. 
I look for uh, Tennessee to continue to add to their roster, particularly in the defensive backfield, and they, they're dying to get an offensive tackle, but so is about everybody in college football. When there's an offensive tackle in the transfer portal, hell, we had a guy here from Vanderbilt. Uh, his name escapes me for the moment, but he jumped in the portal, and LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, uh, damn near everybody in the country is after this guy. And last I checked, Vanderbilt, pretty terrible offensive line. Not calling this guy out because I'm sure he would be an upgrade, but that's just the state of offensive line play in the country right now. There's just not a ton of teams that uh, are producing those players at an elite level, particularly at the offensive tackle position. And Tennessee's right there with it With uh, after Josh Heupel came in. You know, Wanya Morris transferred out, and now they're, they're still looking to replace. They're still uh, – Jameer Johnson also transferred out. Uh, you know, that has been a hole on this offensive line, and it continues to be. So that is a huge area of concern. I know they bring it in among the 14 early enrollees, Addison Nichols, four-star signee, but may not be too realistic to have a freshman come in and win a job at offensive tackle year one. So we'll have to see how that goes. But much like Shane Beamer, that is something Josh Heupel addressed during his first press conference of the spring here on Tuesday. How do things compare this year on Rocky Top compared to last year? And you got to remember, I know we have we all have a short-term memory. It's hard to remember what happened a year ago. But this time last year, everybody and their mother saying Tennessee, they're going to get bowl sanctions. They're going to get devastated by the NCAA. There was uh, one analyst over there at CBS said Tennessee will not make a bowl game for five years given all the defections they had, losing guys to Alabama, losing guys to Michigan State, losing guys to Oklahoma. This roster was raided, and this looked like a paper-thin roster, which for a large part it was. That's why these 14 early enrollees are so huge to add depth to this uh, roster this spring in Knoxville. Going from that situation to, again, you're bringing back Hannon Hooker, possible Heisman candidate, bringing back Cedric Tillman, arguably the most productive receiver returning in the SEC. You're killing it on the recruiting trail right now. I mean, this is they've done a 180 in a 12-month span. So here's Josh Heupel on how different things are this spring on Rocky Top. Josh, there was kind of quite a bit of craziness getting into spring football last year. Just how different is it this year getting into spring football and how much easier is it to, to simply focus on football these next two months or so? Yeah, uh, you know, for, for us, you know, almost all of our staff back, um, old and young staff, uh, familiarity, uh, you're able to reflect, grow on, on those things, a lot of understanding of who we are, how we're going to function, how we want to operate. Um, and, uh, you know, kids are able to, to focus on, you know, the, the details of, of what we're asking them to do. Uh, coaching staff's in sync and all on the same page and, and uh, should help us propel us uh, for a great amount of growth here. Uh, you know, a difference in year one and year two is, is just light years of difference. You know, there's so much familiar, familiarity and understanding in, in what we're doing, coaches and players like. Now, I hit on the fact, Hendon Hooker, we all know how good he was last year. Cedric Tillman, the same, really caught fire. And Tillman was able to do it against Alabama, Georgia, and in the bowl game particularly, I mean, my guy, I, I believe he had three touchdowns in the first half. Guy was on fire. Both of these guys could have left school, went to the NFL. But I, I also think it's fair to say, you know, they're probably not looking at 
very high draft selections had they went, and that's why they're coming back. They're coming back to improve that stock. They have got something to prove to NFL evaluators, and according to Josh Heupel, these players have taken it seriously this offseason to come back to improve their stock and progress their game in his system. So let's kick it over to Josh Heupel on uh, arguably the two most important players on his team this season. Josh, you kind of even go back to last season with, with Hinton and with Cedric. You've talked about how much better they can get. Obviously, they had a lot of success last season. What kind of edge or what kind of difference maybe have you seen with those guys this offseason as, as they sort of build off that and, and try to maximize what they have? Yeah, I th think for both of them, uh, it's different this year than it was a year ago in, in that uh, they're uh, comfortable and confident in who they are as a, as a player and have great understanding of, of ways that they need to improve and want to improve. They have a great voice inside of the, the team room, inside of their position units. I think they understand that now. And so the leadership and ownership from within is completely different too. Uh, for them to continue to improve. And, and as you improve, that doesn't mean statistically uh, your numbers are going to uh, be dramatically different either, right? It's, it's about becoming and maximizing who you are and your potential as a, as a football player. Both of those guys have done a great job in the first seven weeks of our offseason, our first quarter, of having very purposeful work every single day. Uh, they've made great strides in understanding, not just on the strength and conditioning side, but understanding uh, you know, the, the, the pure fundamentals of the positions that they're playing and how they can incrementally get better. Being able to reflect back on a, on a year's worth of work and uh, um, you know, as we move forward, you know, just their intentionality today, uh, I thought was really good. Uh, their voice and their leadership was really strong too. They're only going to continue to improve in those things. And then finally, we hit. I went at nauseum there about the newcomers there that Tennessee has got. Uh, according to Josh Heupel, this it's only been one day of camp here, but these newcomers have come in ready to compete. He says offense, defense, and special teams. So. You know, early signs are this is a group that uh, is going to be able to compete year one, and Tennessee is going to need a lot of these guys ready to go by the time the fall rolls around if Tennessee is, is truly going to take that next step on the field. Josh, obviously a lot of newcomers across the board, freshmen, transfers. Yeah. Who have you seen emerge in, from a leadership standpoint from those guys this offseason and, and maybe even today? You know, I, I think it would be really hard and almost unfair for, for that group uh, to start singling out single individuals as far as leadership. Um, a ton of new guys, you know, I think it's 14 guys. Um, and uh, man, I'll tell you, for new guys coming into the building, um, they are as mature and as ha have hand handled themselves from day one about as well as any group that I've, I've ever been around. Done a great job of, of competing. They've done a great job of helping each other out. They have a really good understanding of what we're doing. Uh, I'm really proud of, of you know what they were able to do today, blending in t to what we're doing, offense, defense, and special teams. It shows the purpose in which they worked here, uh, leading up to, to today. And uh, it's a group that uh, you know we feel you know physically, their talent, um, who they are, got a chance to to grow and develop here during spring ball, but have great off seasons and, and put themselves in a position to compete during training camp and, and earn playing time. So, again, the positive train here, Columbia, Knoxville. I mean, these are two fan bases, two programs, eager to win, tired of being a laughing stock. Both of them turned the ship around last season. And, man, we're talking a competitive, competitive East because they're saying the same things in Gainesville. They're ready to be relevant again. Kentucky, 
I mean, I continue to say it. This could be the best team of the Mark Stoops era. And then, oh, yeah, let's not forget the defending national champions in the division. We just saw Missouri, you know, explosive players all across the board there in Columbia. This SEC East is going to be a damn gauntlet. Probably not up to the caliber of the SEC West just yet. But, you know, between two and four, two and five in that division, I mean, we're really splitting hairs at this point in time. And you can make a, a case for either one of these teams, not only finishing second in the East. I mean, if they put together, you know, all the pieces come together and an upset or two happens, you could talk me into Tennessee or South Carolina winning the East next season. So this is going to be a debate all offseason long. And, uh, you know, I cannot wait to see how it shapes out here in the SEC East. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's Better H-E-L-P. Head on over to BetterHelp.com slash S-E-C to get 10% off your first month over at BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours over at BetterHelp. Mental health is something we gotta we all got to take seriously, particularly in these times. I know I've had a time in my life where I needed to speak to a therapist and it really helped me get through the issues I was having. And that's how they can help you over at BetterHelp. Again, that's H-E-L-P.com and use that promo code SEC. You can find all this in the show notes. Head on over to their website and read some of the testimonials posted daily over at BetterHelp. Two million people have taken charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals over at BetterHelp. Once again, betterhelp.com slash SEC. If you need some help, want to speak to a therapist, you don't even have to leave your home to do it. Head on over to betterhelp.com. Use that promo code SEC for 10% off your first month. And again, you can find this link in the show notes. But jumping over to the other side of the conference, Alabama, they've been practicing here for about a week as well. Nick Saban kind of came out and gave a whole hub. Uh, <laughs> one of his pressers where he decides not to really say anything of substance. But thankfully, he's letting his players speak here, and they are saying more than he ever could. And, you know, this is going to be the theme all offseason in Tuscaloosa, the revenge tour of the Crimson Tide, Will Anderson, the outstanding linebacker. You can make the case the best player in the country last season. He's back, eager to get that championship ring. Let's kick it over to Will Anderson, who sounds like he's going to be a man possessed this offseason in Tuscaloosa. You guys, you guys got leaders and, and playmakers at every level of the defense with you and Henry and Jordan. What's this defense capable of, you think? I think we're capable of being better than we were last year. I think um, start towards the end, we start to gel a little bit more. And I think we just want to roll that over in the spring. And I think that's one of the biggest things, just keep gelling, keep molding together, everybody playing together, everybody playing fast and physical. Talk about the personality of this, this defense. What do you see from it forming already? And what, you know, what's, what's this team capable of? You know, this, the personality of this defense is just to be mean, play fast, hit people in the mouth, um, stop the run, get them on third down situations so we can get off the field. And not to be outdone, you know, as Alabama does, there were concerns when the transfer portal came about. The rich going to get richer. Certainly that's been the case. Alabama is selective in the transfer portal. But who do they go out and get? They get 
elite pieces that fit the culture of Nick Saban's program, bringing in Eli Ricks, an All-American in at corner, swiping him away from LSU, getting Jermaine Burton, who's got all the potential in the world to star in this offense from the Georgia Bulldogs, and Jameer Gibbs, the guy that I keep hyping up. There's a huge hole at the running back position. I know there's talent there. There always is in Tuscaloosa, but Jameer Gibbs could be bringing that uh, dynamic pass-catching ability out of the backfield, something Alabama's not had for a little while, particularly last season. He gives them something in the return game, and Bryce Young hyping up what Jameer Gibbs is already bringing to Alabama's offense. I know it's early on, but Jameer Gibbs, you saw him some during bowl prep, and I'm sure you worked through the summer some with him. What have you What have you seen from him? Yeah, Jameer's, Jameer's worked really hard. Um, he, he's done a great job of, of coming in, and again, he, he's someone who – um, has, has really taken to the offense really well. Um, someone who's done the little things right uh, in our conditioning. He's, you know, every week he, he was winning an award for uh, being one of the, the top performers. Um, you know, someone who, um, who who came in and, and, and looked good and, and worked and, and ran well last last week. So, um, again, I'm super excited again now as we have these, these you know, we're back to our normal spring schedule of, of every day. You know, we're together, we're meeting, we're practicing. So. Um, you know, I'm excited to, to continue to, to work with him and, and to continue to, you know, to see him be successful. So, um, you know, it's exciting for me as well. Do you have a relationship with Jermaine dating back to California? And then with a guy like that that's coming into the program, do you, do you kind of like throw extra? Do you, do you have side sessions to kind of get him kind of acclimated faster? Yeah, Jermaine's someone that I knew before he uh, transferred in. Uh, he was in California his last uh, last two years, and you know we're, we've been same camps. Um, you know we've been in the same circle. So um, he was someone that I, I knew before um, before college. And um, yeah, you know when he's someone who, who came in and really has a really you know professional mindset as far as him early right when he transferred in wanting to know. Um, the plays, want to know the system, meeting with Wig, meeting with, you know, talking with me and asking me questions about how we did stuff, how our operation worked, um, certain routes, the specifics. So, um, you know, he's someone who, who's worked hard to, to catch up as quickly as possible and kind of bridge that gap. And, you know, before spring starts, you know, you always, especially when it's newer faces, you know, you, you get those sessions on the side of, of throwing and trying to get the, that chemistry down and get a feel for uh, one another. So, you know, we've we had a relationship before um, college and, you know, we've had some stuff before spring practice and then, um, getting our first practice in last Friday, and then now again attacking it and having these 14 coming up is is going to be big. So I'm excited for that. So good luck trying to stop these guys. That's all I'm trying to say. But uh, yeah, I mean Alabama by no means a perfect team. I don't think there's at this point in time I'm ready to say, you know, they're just going to just beat the hell out of everybody they play. But certainly, an angry Alabama is not the one you want to be facing on Saturday. And it's early, but, uh, you know, they're saying all the right things down there in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, you know, good luck. Good luck to their opponents this year. That's all I got to say on that one. Now, last team we're going to hit on on this episode, let's kick it on down to Oxford, where the Ole Miss Rebels kicking off spring camp this week uh, here on Tuesday as well. And, you know, obviously the big story down there, all three coordinators gone replacing 14 starting players, 33 lettermen from the first 10-win regular season team in program history. A lot to rebuild down there in Oxford, or reload is the term better suited for uh, Lane Kiffin's program, the way they're attacking everybody in the transfer portal. And since we've last recorded, 
they've landed another one. Former SMU running back, Ucelis Bentley, was a coveted guy. Went into the portal, immediately landed at Ole Miss. That's big because the Rebels lost their top three rushers and four of their top five from last season. Of course, they got Zach Evans from TCU. Now they got Bentley. They signed a really good player out of the high school ranks at the running back position. But it's going to be new faces all across the board for the Ole Miss Rebels. And that is something that Lane Kiffin talks about. The scheme, they're going to try to keep it the same. And why wouldn't you after coming off a 10-win season? You know what? Changes on the coaching staff as well. In terms of schematically and strategically, will you be much different on either side of the ball with different coaches over there? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, there'll be a lot of carryover, um, you know, with defensively promoting from within. And, and Charlie on offense haven't been with us before, so um, I think that's really good for the players. You know, there'll be some changes, but not overhauls. And that's what you should do. You know, you win 10 games, you always want to try to get better and improve and, you know, look at new ideas and things, but, you know, not totally scratch. Um, you know, kind of like what we did schematically a year ago on defense where we dramatically changed. So I don't think you'll see a whole lot of difference from the outside. Have you all worked out who are going to be the offensive defensive play callers yet, or is that kind of work in progress? Um, that, that would be Partridge and, and Charlie. And, of course, with Matt Corral off to the NFL, likely a first-round pick, I think the latest uh, Mel Kuyper projecting uh, Corral to go to the Detroit Lions as their first-round pick. We'll see if that comes to fruition. But we got a big quarterback competition there at Ole Miss. A lot of people penciling in the uh, Southern Cal transfer Jackson Dart as the guy, and he very well could be. But we got Luke Altmeyer who played sparingly last year after Corral went down. We got King K. Dent. Here's Lane Kiffin on the uh, latest of, of how this uh, competition is breaking down as spring has started in Oxford. How would you describe the seemingly quarterback battle that is going to start this spring? All three guys will have a chance. Um, we've been in a lot of these over the years, um, more than we'd like, actually. I mean, at one point, I don't know, three, four, five, six. I think there was six of seven years in a row we had a new starter um, between, I think, last year at USC, Alabama, and FAU. And so um, we've been very used to this. We, we had not had a you know returning starter really maybe one year out of all of that. So we've, we've been in this, and, and it, again, it, can be good because it makes everybody better because there's competition. In an ideal world, does someone emerge in the spring where they're the kind of the leader in the summer, or is that overrated? Always in these things, it would be best for it to be early from the standpoint of the team and everybody knowing it, but we're never going to rush it. Um, these things have gone forever. We ideally never want it to go into the season where they're playing. Um, you know, just that's never ideal, but that's even happened once. So um, you got to try to make the right decision. And the more time, the more input, the more information. We don't have preseason games. So the more you can get, the better. So you need to be patient sometimes. And then last thing, Kiffin's never going to bite his tongue when you ask him about NIL. And 
the $8 million man was brought up in this presser as well. It, you know, certainly, these guys know what they're doing when they're asking Kiffin a question like this, given his comments on, on Jimbo and A&M and the NIL from last season. And Kiffin even references that here in his response to NIL and college free agency, as he calls it. And, hey, he's, he's just calling it like he sees it, he says. Yeah, I mean, I've obviously said a lot about NIL um, from the beginning of it. Let's make sure that we understand. I love that the pay players are getting paid, and I just say how it is. So, you know, I mean, I guess I got called a clown before for saying how it is. NIL has a lot to do with where players go. Um, and to not think that's crazy. And I mean, it'd literally be like being a head coach in the NFL, signing a great free agency class, you know, um, of signing guys going out and getting these great players and coming up here and saying to you guys, that had nothing, the contracts had nothing to do with why the players came here. And they just want to come play for me. So um, obviously it has a lot to do with where players go and it should. I mean, you're talking about 17, 18 year old kids, you know, Adults choose jobs a lot of times for money, for salaries. So why would a kid not? God bless Lane Kiffin for coming to this league and giving us some more ammo down there in Oxford. Uh, I cannot wait for this Texas A&M Ole Miss game. I wish Ole Miss and Tennessee, hell, maybe, who knows, maybe they'll play in Atlanta this year. <laughs> they'll, be, <laughs> they'll be searching uh, everybody that comes into that stadium for golf balls and mustard and all that. But <laughs> but hey that's gonna wrap it up on this episode of the show florida and georgia they both had media availabilities here on tuesday but they got started late into the evening so i'm gonna hold off on them for another day and we'll have plenty of sec action coming at you on thursday i promise there'll be something breaking that we'll have to discuss so hopefully i'll reach out to cousin shane try to get him back on board for the next episode of the show but i do appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out and as always if you made it this far if you wouldn't mind giving us that five star written review on the apple podcast app and now on spotify and we're happy to send you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that but that's going to do it we'll catch you on the next one